Hi, welcome to the Believer's Diary podcast. Today, today, this is a new session and we're looking at a topic that I title Within is Love. This is actually a 10 podcast series of how we'll be unveiling and we'll be unveiling, studying the love of God and what is in there and what have we found in there. And, and this is going to bless you. I'm, I'm saddened about it. It's going to bless you. It's going to change your perspective towards your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. You know, this this study is to the end that the believer discovers who he is, discovers his responsibility, and discovers how he can walk with God every day of his life and walk in the Spirit. So, without further ado, I like us to go into the text. Of what we're going to look at today. And we're going to begin from the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you the progression of the truth. Of how it was taught in the Old Testament. And take us into the epistles. So we can have a foundation. So we can be established in the truth of God's word. So quickly, let me show you something about what we want to discuss. From Leviticus chapter 25, and it, it, it will begin to take shape uh, quickly. Now, before Leviticus 25, let me show you this first. Leviticus chapter 23, let's have a background to 25. Now, the background of the book of Leviticus is, is a part of the law of Moses. So, Moses wrote the law, and, um, and in, in the writing of the law, Moses included what we call celebration or what we call feast. So there were feast and celebration that the children of Israelite uh, were, were, were yearly or annually they celebrated it, or maybe after a particular period they celebrated it. So there were feasts in Israel, and there were many, many feasts in Israel. Now, let's, let me just, let's just see one quickly. In Leviticus 23, if you go there, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4, See, Moses says, these are the feasts of the Lord, even only convocations, which you shall proclaim in their season. So they are feasts. So in the writing of the law and in the culture of the children of Israelite, they were feasts that they celebrated. Now look at verse 5. So one of the feasts is in verse 5. It says, in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. So there is a Passover feast, the feast of the Passover. So now, immediately you hear, immediately you hear the word Passover, the first thing that should come to your mind is when or oh, the Passover was instituted. And that will take us to Exodus chapter 12. And I'm going to show you what we're looking at. So keep in mind one of this feast called the Passover. Let's hold that now, the Passover. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, Moses detailed the, the practices of how the Passover should be done. Now, we can't read the whole chapter. It's a long read. But we can just we're going to pick some verses. Now, if you go to verse 11 of Exodus 12, 
Bible says there, it says, And thou shall ye eat with your loins guided, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, verse 11 is a commemoration there, and the Passover is a commemoration of their deliverance from Egypt. So, they were doing the Passover because of how the Lord delivered them from Egypt. Very important. So, hope that, so the Passover... So there's a feast, the feast on the Passover, and it's about how the Lord delivered them from Egypt. So all those two thoughts. Now, so let's go back again to Leviticus 23. Now, together with the Passover, there is a feast that is celebrated together with it, and that's what I want to show you. So another feast, Leviticus 23, verse 6. Look at it now. It says, and on the 15th day of the same month, is the feast of the unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat of the unleavened bread. So the 14th day is the Passover. Then the 15th day is the feast of the unleavened bread. So this it is celebrated together. So two feasts, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, celebrated together. And both of them is celebrated to talk about the way God Deliver them from Egypt. So hold that. Okay. Okay. Very good. Now, now let's 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 read on. Let's let's see another one in verse in verse um, fifteen. Now in verse fifteen, there's something he mentions about it. <clears throat> so now there's also what you call the feast of the first fruit. Now all these have significant, but we're not really going to focus on that one now. So. Um, now, let's read, read verse 15 of Leviticus 23. If you see something there now, he now says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Now, that means after you do the after you do the feast of the Passover, you do the feast of, of, of the unleavened bread, the feast of the first fruit. If you can read the entire Leviticus 23, you're going to see that. Now, let's read it. Verse 15 now says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day he brought the sheaf of the weaver offering, even seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Now, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall he number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Now, what does that mean? So he says, after the Passover, after the feast of the unleavened bread and the first food, what you're going to and you and the first food, you you number it from that point up till the forty-nine days. So that means that feast will hold for forty-nine days. So it's a forty-nine day of celebration. Then on the fiftieth day. On the 50th day, you will not offer a new meat offering. So the 50th day today is what we call the Pentecost. Because 50 means Pentecost. Pentecost. So, so that, that's what Pentecost means. So on the 50th day, it's like the end of the celebration. A, a huge celebration will be done there. All right. <clears throat> so... So we have the feast of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. Then after that, then we have what we call the Pentecost. Now, <clears throat> so 49 days, observe, 49 days after the Passover, the 50th day is what we call the Pentecost, the 50th day. So there will be a celebration about the Pentecost on the 50th day. Okay. <clears throat> so now let's examine, let's, let's look at, 
all, the implication of all these, you know, what it means, what it does for them. Now, look at Leviticus 25. So let's 25, verse chapter 4. Follow this, follow this. Verse 4. It says, But on the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord. Yeah. A Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune the vine. 25 says, he says, verse 5 says, That which groweth of his own accord of the earth, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of the vine on dress, for it is a year of the rest unto the land. Now, 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 run to verse 8, and you see something in verse 8. He says, And thou shalt number, just like what we just read, he says, And thou shalt number seven Sabbath of years. The other ones, you number seven Sabbath of the days. So now, Moses takes it from days to years. Now he says, and thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbath of years shall be unto thee forty-nine years. So forty-nine years. You see that? Forty-nine years. Then verse now, now says, then, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee. To sound on the tenth day, that's the next day, of the seventh month, in the day of atonement, shall it make the trumpet sound throughout all your life. Now, how do I know it's the next, next year, the next year? Mm-hmm. Verse 10 says, and you shall allow the fiftieth year. Look at that. The fiftieth year, just like you allow the fiftieth day, and proclaim liberty. Throughout all the land unto the inhabitant thereof, it shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. So now look at 10, 11. He said, A jubilee shall the 50th year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which grow it of itself in it, not gather, not gather the grapes in. In it of thy vine on dress. So there is a celebration on the 50th and year, and it is called a year of Jubilee. A year of Jubilee. Very significant. So, three things I want you to note the Passover, the unleavened bread, face of the unleavened bread, and the day of Pentecost. That's the 50th day, which Moses takes it further to tell us about a 50th year, which is also called the year of Jubilee or the year of freedom. Yeah, the year of, yeah, the year of Jubilee. Now, now, let's run to verse 25. You can read all this is, no, no, later on. But look at verse 25. In verse 25, <clears throat> verse 24 of Luke, that verse 25, 24. Now it says, and, and in all the land, and in all the land, so on that year of Jubilee, something I want us to notice, on that year of Jubilee, what will happen is that if anybody's owing you anything, you know, you, or if there's a slave, if there's anybody who is a slave in the land of Israel to make the person go, the person is free, you know, so if you're owing anybody anything, you're also free, the person, because it's a year of Jubilee. Jubilee means freedom. Jubilee means freedom. Okay, now. So now, and you see how all this will come in. Now, in verse 24, it says, and in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. 25. He now says, 25 now says, If thy brother be waxing poor, he had sold away some possession. And if any of his kin come to redeem him, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have not redeemed, none to redeem it, and himself be able to redeem it, 
Then let him count the years of the sale, <clears throat> years of the sale, thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not, not to take note of 28, but if he not be able to restore it to him, then that which is so shall remain in the hand of him that bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall God and you shall return unto his. Now, basically, what he's saying in that place is that if somebody owes you a thing and is not able to pay it, you know, when the year of Jubilee comes, he just has to wait till the year of Jubilee. When the year of Jubilee comes, the person, you have to allow the person go. Don't worry, it's the year of celebration. Now, why is this important? Why are they allowing things to, why are they letting people go in their relationship with others? Like if I owe, if I owe Israelite and I owe somebody probably $10,000, once the year of Jubilee comes, the person tells me, you know what, this is the year of Jubilee, you're free, and he doesn't collect the money again forever. So, <clears throat> because it's the year of Jubilee. Now, why are they doing the year of Jubilee? Why is this celebration? Now, run to verse 35. What is the importance of this celebration? 35. 35 tells us something there. Now, again, he emphasizes in 25, he says, And if thy brother be waxing poor, if your brother is poor, and falling in decay with thee, thou shalt relieve him. Look at that. Thou shalt relieve him. That is, you let him go. So don't worry. Don't worry. Don't pay me again. You're free. Whatever is owing you. Now, say, yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. 36. He says, Take thou no issue of him. That is, don't take any interest or increase. But fear thy God that thy brother may live with thee. Verse 37. Say, thou shalt not give thy money upon issue, nor lend thy victuals for increase. Why? Why? Teti tells us. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and be your God. So, the reason for this freedom or the reason for this celebration is about how, or the reason is about how God delivered them from Egypt. So, the reason why they are able to free others from their from, from free others of what they owe them is because of how God freed them in the land of Egypt. That is very key. Okay, now, now, now let's go back to verse ten, which is where we, I want to sit on as as we build the study together. In verse 10, just, just, just follow this now. In verse 10, he says, And you shall allow the 50 and proclaim liberty. Now, that's what I want to emphasize on. Proclaim liberty. Now, the word liberty means release. Means release. Now, Isaiah, the prophet, talked about this the proclamation, proclamation of liberty in Isaiah 61, giving a prophecy, a messianic prophecy about Jesus here. Now, in Isaiah 61. So, hold Isaiah 61. Now, don't forget that this period of liberty comes after the Passover. It comes after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Then we have a Passover. We have a Passover. Now, don't forget that. Now, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Verse 1. I'll read verse 2. Let's read, just read verse 2 for now. It says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim. It's the same thing. So, the, the acceptable year of the Lord is referring to liberty. 
It's in, it is in reference to where burdens are removed, obligations are lifted or taken away. So when he said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he's talking about a period or a time where the burdens will be removed and obligations will be very, very synonymous to what Moses instructs them in the year of Jubilee. That on that year, whatever obligation a person holds you, whatever burden a person holds you in that year, it shall be removed. And this is predicated upon what God has done for them. So he is saying it, in other words, as I is saying also that Jesus would come also and proclaim the year of liberty. Same thing with Moses. The year of liberty. The year of liberty. So, okay, now, now, again, look at Jeremiah. Where the word liberty was used. In Jeremiah 34. I just read about I read about a few verses there. In Jeremiah 34. In Jeremiah chapter 34. Look at this. Jeremiah 34. Verse 17. Let me show you this in verse 17. Verse 17. It says, Therefore, thus hear the Lord. You have not acting unto me in proclaiming liberty. So this is this is Jeremiah talking about the fact that this practice at this point in time in Jeremiah's timeline they were not doing it. This proclaiming liberty. He says, "Everyone to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you." So Jeremiah tells them that God actually has proclaimed a liberty for them. Say the Lord. He said, to the sword, to the person and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the air. You see that now. So he says, so now, when he says that, so he's saying, he reminds saying that they have not practiced this law, I mean, or this instruction, rather, that Moses had given them. So they've not been doing it. They've not been doing it. Now, if we go back to verse 8, if we go back to verse 8, it says, This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah unto, from the Lord. After the king Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people of Jerusalem to proclaim liberty unto them. Now, what is that liberty? Verse 9, that every man should let his manservant and every and his maidservant, being an Hebrew, on Hebrews, go free, that no one should serve himself of them to it. Of a Jew, his brother. So you see that in the year of liberty, on the period of liberty, what happens is a release, a freedom. And this is done because of what God has done for them in Israel. How God released them from Egypt. So definitely. So in that year, in the Old Testament, citizens of Israel that all other people would be free from that body forever. They wouldn't be obligated anymore to pay anything. So now, in Ezekiel 46, look at this. So all these are a build-up to something. Now look at this, Ezekiel 46. Ezekiel 46, verse 17. Look at this, Ezekiel 46, verse 17. Ezekiel 46 verse 17. 
He says, but if, but if he give a gift of his inheritance to one of his servants, then it shall be, be his to the year of liberty, it shall return to the prince, but his inheritance shall be his sons of men. Again, again, he's saying that whatever obligation you are all to pay before the year of the liberty, when the year of liberty come, you are free from it. So basically, the essence of the year of liberty is it's a time for people to free the burdens of others that owe them. Now, remember, don't forget that this is after the Passover and the only living bread. That is very key. So the action, this action that they do or this activity that they do first comes as a result of what God did for them and they now do it to one another. They do it to one another. So the reason for this instruction is for them. So the reason for this instruction, therefore, is for them to be reminded of how God delivered them or released them from the bondage in Egypt. That's the reason. So the reason why the year of Jubilee is celebrated is to remember, not, not that they forgot, is to put it in their mind, to stay abreast of what God did for them in Egypt. Now, this scripture that we're reading right now, that we've been reading to free people from what they owe, it doesn't imply today, or shouldn't be read, that if somebody is owing you something, then you have to pray that the person forgets. No, that's unscriptural and ungodly. That's taken it out of context. So there is a context of that scripture. So it's not that some you're owing somebody uh, and maybe you not you go to God and say, Oh God, let the person forget. No, 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 no. That's not what he's teaching here. He's talking about there's a significance to all this. Now <clears throat> so what Moses is teaching here is how everyone should remember how they were set free by God in Egypt. So and so when you have that in mind. You will be able, when you have that in mind, you will also be able to set others free. That is the essence of the teaching. Now, let's let's take it a, let's take it a step further. So, having understood all this, <clears throat> now all the feast. Now, pay attention to this. Now, all the feast in the Old Testament that we just looked at now, actually are a feeder. Of speech or a figure of something. That means the 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 importance of what they represented is not in the feast itself. It's something a figure of speech is what Bible theologians call calls shadows. They're shadows. In other words, they have their substance or their definition or their essence in Christ. That is the feast, the practice of the Old Testament were figures of speech. Of the reality that will be done in Christ. So there is a reality. So all the feasts, the feast of the Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread, the feast of, uh, of, of first food, all those things are figure of speech of a reality that will be done in Christ. In fact, they are actually the actions of Christ 
You will see the essence of it in Christ's actions. Now, we're adding flesh to it. So, <clears throat> like for example, now, let's, let me show you something for example. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. You've you got to pay attention here. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. <clears throat> so, note that those things were figures. They were figures. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we see their essence in Christ. The reality in Christ. Now look at Matthew 20, 26. Jesus is, is at the Passover table now. And if you read from verse 17, you will know that he's talking about the Passover. I'll just read verse 17. The first verse. He says, now the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, where would thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? So, Passover, we're talking about it in Israel, and they wanted to celebrate it. Okay, they wanted to celebrate it, the Passover. Now, so then Jesus told them where to go. Then we run down, just read down to verse 26. Let's read verse 26. So, on the day of the Passover, let's look at Jesus now. So, he says, Now, as they were eating, of course, what would they be eating the Passover? He says, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and bricked it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take it. This is my body. Now remember, quickly remember, that the Passover and the olive bread were done together. They celebrated together. Okay, now. Now when Jesus said, when Jesus took the bread and said, Take it. This is my body. The bread, that bread he held in his hand, if you can picture it in your mind, that bread he held in his hand is not his body. It is just bread. It is just bread. It can't be his body. The bread also did not change to his body. No, 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 no. You cannot pray or you cannot say, Oh Lord, as I'm, this bread. No, no, no. It is not his body. It is the day of the Passover and the day of the living bread. And Jesus Christ is sitting with his disciples and he's talking about the Passover. And he's now explaining the Passover in the light of himself. In the light of himself. So he's explaining what the Passover or the unliving bread is. The essence of the unliving bread. Because when you say the feast of the living bread, that's what the essence of the living is explaining it. And he's saying that the essence, so in the Old Testament, it represented a figure. And Jesus is saying that that bread is likened to his body, not that that bread is his body. So he's saying, while they celebrated that feast, was because of what will happen to his body. Now look at 27. Don't lose me here now. Don't lose me here. Now he says, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood. Of course, the wine in that cup, that wine, the wine itself in that cup is not his literal blood. Jesus is teaching something. He's explaining his teaching. So the wine isn't his blood in itself. It's teaching something. Because if you drink that wine, it doesn't give you forgiveness of sin, as it were. 
So he's teaching, he's explaining the Passover that is that was done in the Old Testament. And he's using bread and wine as a parable to communicate what would happen to his body. This is because that physical bread or wine doesn't give remission of sin. It is what he did that gives remission of sin. So drinking the bread or wine doesn't offer remission of sin. He is teaching them that the essence of why all this was done was because of what he would do. In other words, the Passover was a shadow, a figure of speech of his own sacrifice for sin. That is the substance. So those celebrations were figures to talk about how God in Christ will deliver deliver us from the hold of Satan or the hold of sin. And the way he will do it is that he will offer his life or offer his blood for the remission of sin. So those were figures. Now let me show you again. Let me show you this. So they were figures. So he's not instituting anything. He's actually teaching them. He's actually explaining the essence of the parable. That the essence of the parable is his sacrifice on the cross or his sacrifice in redemption, in, 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 redeeming, in redeeming us. That's the essence. That's the substance. Okay, look at this further that buttresses these things. Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16. Now watch what he says. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat. Now when he says meat, he's not talking about like maybe uh, uh, cow or any cow. No, the word meat there means food. So he says, let no man therefore judge you in food. That is what you eat or drink or in respect of an holy day of the new moon of the Sabbath. Look at 17. He says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. Now, two things I want you to see there. In verse 16, he says, meat, drink, that is food, food, drink, holy day. Then he says, new moon and Sabbath day. All these things that you mentioned in verse 16 are the summations of the activities that were going on in the Old Testament. Or the feasts that were going on in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, I mean, Paul says, they are a shadow. Just like Jesus. Jesus explains it in Matthew 26 to say, look, the essence of this, of this Passover that we're doing is because of my sacrifice that will be done on the cross or in redemption, in releasing you. So Paul says, they are a shadow. They are a shadow. The word shadow means a representation, a sketch, an outline, a representation. In other words, Paul is saying that all these things that is mentioned in verse 16 are a representation of something. They are not the essence. They are a representation. And he's referring to the Old Testament. 
So he's saying they are a representation. So when he says, the second thing is, when he says things to come, the word things to come is not in our own future, like maybe in the next 200 years. No, the word things to come is not in our future, is, is saying that they, those things pointed to something that was coming from the Old Testament. Now, what were they pointing to? He's saying that they they were pointing to Christ. That's why he says the body is Christ. So those things were representation of what was coming from the Old Testament. So from the Old Testament, those things we see are representation of what was coming. Remember, he mentions those things. The meat, drink, rest, anything, any feast. They were figures or shadows of what was coming. So, those things foreshadowed what was to come. Now, what was to come has already come. And that is Christ. That's why he says, the body is Christ. The word body there is soma in the Greek. It means essence, all, complete. In other words, the essence is Christ. The substance is Christ. The reality is Christ. Christ is the essence of those representations. So the Passover is not something. Jesus did not institute the Passover. No. The Passover has already been instituted by Moses. When God delivered the children of Israelite from, from Egypt. And those things were a figure of God's deliverance for, of humanity in Christ. That's the essence. The reality. You get it now? <clears throat> so, the reason why Jesus ate with them was that he was going to use that timeline that he had about when they were celebrating the Passover with his disciples to now teach the essence. He was not instituting anything. Now, so let's go on. <clears throat> so, the reality is Christ. So, Christ is the essence of those representations. That means the reality of all those things, of all those celebrations, is found in Christ. Paul buttresses his point for her. He says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility. And worshipping of angels, referring to the things, is intruding, in, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy man. 19. And not holding the head, that is Jesus. Not holding the head for which, that is not holding onto the reality. You can see that. It says, for which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increase it with the increase of God. Now 20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiment of the world, as though living in the world, are you subject to his ordinances? That is, all those things are the ordinances of man. Now, he says, touch not, taste not, and not. This is the law. This is the law. He says, which are to perish with the using. In other words, he's saying that the, the practice of those things are meant to perish. That is, they are meant to be done away with. It's not meant to exist anymore. They perish. 
It doesn't have any significance. Now, what it says, because they are after the commandment and doctrines of men. He calls it doctrine of men. Now, why does he call it doctrine of men? He calls it doctrine of men because those things were representation. Those things were representation. And still doing it when the essence has come, you, it means that you are just following the laws and the doctrines of men because the essence has come. So the reason why this practice is done or why the practice is still continuing in light of the new covenant in the context of the Colossian church is because they did not get the impact of why those things were, 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 were being done. The reference of all those things was about Christ and his work. So the essence is found in Christ. Now, let's, let's read a, a version that clears this up for us. The TPT version clears it up in a very interesting manner. Look at this. I read from verse 16. So it says, So why would you allow anyone, I want you to pay attention to this, it says, to judge you because of what you eat or drink, or insist that you keep the feast. Remember, that will be the feast of the Passover, the feast of the living bread. You know, observe new moon celebrations, or all this stuff. These are the things that were being done in the Old Testament. Right? He now says, all this were but a prophetic shadow. You see that? And the evidence of what would be fulfilled. Look at that. So if they were a representation, why do we follow representation? We should not. Because they were just prophetic shadows. And the evidence of what would be fulfilled. Now look at it. He now says, for the body, which is essence, essence, or substance, is now Christ, meaning that that is it is found in Christ. Now it's in. Don't let anyone disqualify you from your prize. Don't let them. Don't let their pretended sincerity fool you, as as they deliberately lead you into the initiation of angel worship. Is it for they take pleasure in pretending to be experts of something they know nothing about? Their reasoning is meaningless and comes only from their own opinion. They refuse to take hold of the true source, that's Christ. So, the continuous practice of this, Paul says it is meaningless. That's what the Spirit of God is saying. It's meaningless. So he's saying, don't let anybody tell you that to continue doing this thing, you have lost your, you have lost your reward. No, it's not meant to be continued in itself. It is meaningless. Look at it now. He says, and he says, they refuse to take hold of the true source. That is, they refuse to see the reality of these things that is done in Christ. Now, look at this. Now, he now says, he says, but we receive directly from him. That's the source, Jesus. And his life supplies vitality into every part of his body through the joining ligament connecting us all. Now, let's, let's go to verse 20. For you were included in the death of Christ and have died with him to the religious system and powers of this world. Don't retreat back to being bullied by the standard and opinion of religion. For example, the strict requirements. You can't associate with that person. You can't eat that. You can't touch that. All these are the doctrines of men and corrupt customs. 
They are worthless to help you spiritually. You can see that. So those celebrations or those things, they are worthless. Because the substance or the source of all those things is found in Christ. Let's, let's move on. So Christ's sacrifice is the reality. Christ's sacrifice is the reality. Is the reality. So he's saying that we should look at Christ. We should look at the reality of what Christ has done. So having said that, it means, therefore, that the year of liberty or the year of jubilee, which was a celebration in the Old Testament, has a substance in Christ. That is, the reality is in Christ. The explanation of what that means will be in Christ. Remember, it's after the Passover. And the Passover, too, its reality is Christ's sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice. So, therefore, after the Passover, that is now, after the sacrifice of Christ, there comes a period or a year of Jubilee. Now, what will be that the essence of that celebration? To cel- now, I'm talking about it in Christ now. To celebrate our freedom also. Now, remember, the Passover in the Old Covenant was a shadow. was a shadow. And we noticed that that celebration is done because of what God has done from them. Now, <clears throat> so it's a shadow. Now, remember, before that, before that, I want to explain something. Remember that we just established that the essence of the Passover is referring to Christ's sacrifice. Don't forget that. So that means that after the sacrifice of Christ... The death and the burial comes a celebration. A celebration. Now, in the old covenant, this was the after the 49th day. Then on the 50th day, they talk about the Pentecost. They celebrate the year of Jubilee. So it means that after the sacrifice of Jesus comes a year of freedom. Now, what do we what does that mean in the light of the new covenant? So we will leave the shadow and come into the new covenant. In the new covenant, we see, I'm going to show you in scripture, we see that that year or that period of freedom or liberty is the year of the spirit. Now, I don't really like saying year or, you know, it's not like 2009, 2020. It's talking about a dispensation or a state. So that celebration we have as a result of Christ's redemptive work is called, or is called, the substance is called the Spirit, or the year of the Spirit. So, that celebration is found in the Spirit. I'm going to show you in Scripture. You see it now. So, the liberty is found in the Spirit. That is what we have. That is the substance, the essence. In the Old Covenant, it was just a celebration. In the New Covenant, that celebration, the tangibility of that celebration is seen in the Spirit. That is why, that is why, if you read the book, if you read the book of Acts, from the time Jesus died, from the time Jesus died up to Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, what do we see there? We see the Spirit being poured out. That's our celebration. The pouring out of the Spirit. The giving of the Spirit. 
So what do we have? Or what we have is in the spirit. Is in the spirit. So the year of Jubilee, as as foreshadowed by the old covenant, in the new covenant, is called the year of liberty, the year of the spirit. Are you seeing this now? So what we have as a result of Christ's sacrifice from the old covenant refers to us jubilee. What we have as a result of Christ's sacrifice is referring to as a jubilee. Now that's from the old covenant. But in the new covenant, in the light of the new covenant, we are talking about the spirit. In other words, anyone that has believed in Christ's sacrifice has received the spirit of liberty, of freedom. He is free. And that liberty is as a result of his faith in Christ. So what is in the spirit? Remember that it is from the sacrifice of Jesus. That is, it is predicated from the sacrifice of Jesus, what God has done, just like the Old Testament. But we're teaching the essence now. So what do we have in the Spirit? So the Scriptures makes us to understand that what we have in the Spirit is that we have forgiveness of sin. In other words, we know that we have been forgiven because we have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, which is the life of God in us, shows us that we have been forgiven. The Spirit of God is the cleansing. I'm going to show you in Scripture. I just want to say it now. The Spirit of God is the cleansing. It is what has cleansed us from our sin. So when we say the blood of Jesus, we are actually referring to the life of Christ. Or, and the life of Christ is the spirit. We'll see it soon in scripture. So, what has cleansed us from our sin, or how we know that we have been forgiven is as a result. Or how we know that we have been forgiven is as a result of the fact that we have received the spirit. Is spirit is the cleansing. So, because it's the spirit is the cleansing, this means that our sins also has been cleansed eternally. Has been cleansed eternally. Has been cleansed eternally. It is done eternally. So how do we know it's done? It is done eternally because his spirit is also eternal. It will mean that his work in us will be eternal, complete. Hallelujah. So eternal forgiveness is because we have received the eternal spirit. The eternal life of Christ. This is what we call the new birth. This is what we call the regeneration. This is our jubilee. This is our freedom. This is our liberty. This is what we celebrate. We celebrate it because we have the spirit. 
Look at Titus. Paul tells us in Titus. Hallelujah. This is exciting. Praise God. Titus chapter 3. This is the gospel. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, But after the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, talking about Jesus, it is not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration. By the washing of regeneration, And renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at what he says. He says, by the washing of the word, wash the word regeneration means rebirth, new birth, to be recreated, to be made alive. Now, the way he made us alive is by the washing. Now, what is the washing? It says the washing of regeneration, which is the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word and is which is. So, the way we were washed, the way we were brand new or recreated is by the washing of the Spirit. So, what were we washed from? We are washed from our sins. Now, our sins is not in our bodies, of course. Sin is within us. Sin is on the inside. It's in our heart. And where did the Spirit come? It came in. The Spirit came into us, came into our heart when we believe. He came within. Therefore, because the Spirit is in us, we have received the washing. We have been cleansed. We have received the eternal washing of the Spirit, which is eternal forgiveness. Ezekiel prophesies. We're going to see something about Isaiah. Ezekiel prophesies about this. Look at Ezekiel. He talked about this. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel talked about this. Ezekiel 36. Let me show you quickly. Ezekiel chapter 36. I read from verse 24. Look at what he says. For yeah, that's okay, 24 is all right. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Now watch what he says in 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water. You can underline that very in. Clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. He said, I will sprinkle clean water and you'll be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Look at that. He says, and I will give you an out of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my status. And you shall keep my judgment under them. In other words, the cleansing of the clean water is the spirit. It's the spirit. The spirit within us. So the way we're cleansed from filthiness, of course, again, that is the filthiness is not talking about our body. It's not talking about our body here. Like maybe what dirty is talking about a filthiness on the inside of us. That is why he says he would take away the stony heart of flesh and he would stony heart out of our flesh and give you an heart of flesh. What is that out of flesh? 
He says he will give us a new heart. A new heart in a new spirit. He says, and I will put my spirit within you. So when we see the year of liberty or a, celeb- a jubilee celebration, it's a function of what Christ has done in Christ. So it's a function of what God has done in Christ for us. In the light of the new covenant, our jubilee, in the light of redemption, our jubilee is the Spirit of God. It's what we have in the spirit, a freedom from sin and its consequence. And this is eternal. The proof that we have been forgiven forever is because we have his eternal spirit within us. It's because we have his eternal spirit within us. So we are free eternally. From condemnation, we have been forgiven forever. We are nothing, absolutely nothing, stands in our relationship with God. This is the love of God. This is God's love. Now remember that we have a responsibility in this love. We're going to look at this. However, first, remember from the Old Covenant, we see something there, a practice, that as a result of the Jubilee, they forgive forgive other people. They allow debts to go. So there's a responsibility also in that, in the light of the New Covenant. Okay. So remember, so, but however, first, we must understand that what we have in His love first So we must understand what we have in his love before what we do in his love. One is a function of the other. So in our relationship with God, this must be established. In our relationship with God, we have freedom. We have eternal forgiveness. How? Because we have received his spirit. This is our jubilee. This is our celebration. This is our freedom. So the spirit of Christ in us is the proof that we have been forgiven forever. We have been forgiven forever. We have been forgiven forever. Just like how we read in Ezekiel 36, that clean water that cleanses us from filthiness, from the filthiness that is within, is when it puts his spirit within us. So the result of God's washing, the, how God washes us, is when he gives us his spirit. We have been cleansed, and hence we have a new heart and a new spirit. And we have also, from that Ezekiel, we see that we have the ability to walk in status. This is in the spirit. We're going to see that soon. So we deem his love refers to what we have in the love of God. And what do we have? We have His Spirit. And what does that mean? It means that we have been forgiven eternally from sin. We have been totally released, totally free from sin. 
The reason why our forgiveness is eternal is because of the life that we have received. It is eternal. That is the spirit. If the life was temporary, it will mean that the work. If the life was imperfect, it will mean that the work itself of him removing sin from us will be temporary. It will mean that there will still be a residue. It will mean that there's still, it's in the future, there will still be a sin that can hold us back in our relationship with God. However, not so. This spirit is eternal and perfect. And in his love, we receive his spirit. And his work is that he completely blots out sin from us. It's a complete removal. It is a total forgiveness. A complete forgiveness. Why? Because we have received the fullness of his spirit. Paul teaches this. Paul teaches this washing. In 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I read from verse 9. Look at what he says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Don't stop there. Read verse 11. Don't stop there. Verse 11. He says, And such were some of us, some of you. But look at what he says. But now, this is our own part. But you are washed. Glory to God. So he says, such were some, such, and such were, that's in the past. We were like this before. He now says, but now, present tense reality. But now, but ye are washed. Hallelujah. We are washed. He says, we are sanctified. He says, we are justified. How? He says, in the name of the Lord. How? How? He says, by the Spirit of our God. So the spirit of Christ resident in us is the proof that we have been washed. Washed from our transgressions. Washed from our sin. And it is eternal. We are not being washed. We have been washed because we have received the spirit. This is the new bed. We are free. We are in a dispensation of the spirit forever. Remember, I told you that the word dispensation, or the, when it says the year of Jubilee, or the acceptable year of the Lord, is, is more than just like a period. It's talking about a state of liberty that we have received. So, God has separated. God has separated eternally. God has separated us eternally from sin and its consciousness and its effects. That is our, that is why it is our celebration, and that is why it is from the spirit or is in the spirit. So there is an excitement that we have. And that excitement is because we have the spirit. Knowing that we have the spirit in us is that we are forgiven forever. We are free from sin. We are free from sin. We are free from condemnation. We are free from the effect of sin, death. We are free. We are free from eternal domination because we have the eternal spirit. 
And because the spirit does not leave. The Bible says in John chapter 16, it says the spirit shall be in you forever. So what do we have in his love? We have the spirit. And that means we are eternally forgiven. We have his life. That is the spirit also. So redeeming his love is a state of freedom. Is a state of happiness. Is a state of forgiveness. Within his love. Within his love. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. Look at his eye talking about this. We're, we're there. A few minutes ago. Isaiah chapter 61. Awesome, awesome. Hallelujah. This is this is wonderful. Isaiah 61. I read verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty. Look at it, to proclaim liberty. What he calls in 61 to proclaim liberty is what he calls in 62 to proclaim the acceptable year. Same thing. To proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim. So when he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he's talking about to proclaim liberty. The one acceptable is favor. So to proclaim the favor year or the year of favor, which is the year of liberty. Remember, this is not a is not talking about 2009 or 2020. No, 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 no. It's talking about a dispensation, but it goes deeper than that. Is that it's referring to a state that the believer or a man that believes comes into a state of favor, a state of freedom. You know, you can tell yourself you are in a state of favor. You can tell yourself you are in a state of liberty, completely free. There is no condemnation. So basically, he's referring to his spirit. To his spirit. Remember, this is an offshoot from what Moses was talking about in Leviticus. Remember that. Connected. So he's referring to his spirit. Now let's look at how Jesus talked about it. Look at how Jesus talked about it also. In Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4. Verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Again, he now says in 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And we just saw, and we have seen that that year is the year of favor, the year of jubilee, the year of the Spirit. Now, he says to preach the acceptable. So, in 18, he says to preach deliverance. Are they saying the same thing or two different things? Actually, they are saying the same thing. Let's quickly explain that. When he says to preach deliverance in 18, he's not talking about casting out demons. No. The word deliverance is the same word that is used in, for remission, like remission of sin. It's the word aphesis. Aphesis means to let go or to set free. So it means that the preaching of deliverance is the preaching to remove sin from me, to remove sin from us. Now, in verse 18, Jesus mentions some condition, the poor, the broken hearted. All these are not material. 
their spiritual condition, the word poor there, is to be afflicted, to be deprived of something on, on the inside. So it's not talking about money there. It's not talking about money. Because it mentions the gospel, so it's not money. So it's saying that something that the person lacks something on the inside. Hence, the next statement, it says, the broken hearted. The word broken hearted there means a shattered heart, an empty heart. Now, this is, Jesus is describing the condition of the man that is not saved. The man is poor, he lacks, is in lack. Is a lie. The man is shattered. So he says that the way that the, the way deliverance will come to this man is when it is preached. This is by the preaching of it. So when it is preached, that man is set free. How? His sin is removed from him. That condition is removed from him. How? When he receives or through the Spirit of God, deliverance and remission is through the Spirit or remission. He receives the Spirit. So when we say our sins are forgiven, we are saying we have received the Spirit. The removing and the cleansing work is done by the Holy Ghost. And it is done once and for all. Once and for all. It is not ongoing, it is done once. Why? Because the sacrifice is once. Therefore, the cleansing is once. Hallelujah. The Spirit in us isn't cleansing you. No, it's not. He has cleansed us. He has done it once. He did it the moment he got into us. So forgiveness of sin isn't just a pardon. It's more than that. It's a regeneration. It is eternal life, the eternal spirit living in us. It is a total completeness. We are whole. We are sufficient because we have received the spirit. Glory to Jesus. So the way he would cleanse us is that he would put his spirit in us. The cleansing is eternal. It is the work of the Spirit that comes after his sacrifice. Hallelujah. Just as how that celebration comes after the Passover. So we are completely free from sin and its consequences because we have got the Spirit within us. There is no sin in us. Whatever, whatever, whatever form it may be, there is no sin in the believer. Because the man is called the cleansed one, is called the justified one, is called the man that has received the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Look at how Jeremiah talks about this. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful! This is awesome. Jeremiah, hallelujah! Glory to Jesus. Jeremiah speaks of this also. Jeremiah 31. 31. It's wonderful to, for us to know that all oh, this comes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not a material that we should forget. No, it's the, it's the substance of what we talk about when we talk about the gospel. 
Look at Jeremiah 31, talking about this. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 33. He says, But this shall be the covenant. He's talking about the new covenant he's going to do. He said, But this shall be the covenant. Now, I want you to read from 32. I want you to read from 32. There's something he says in 32. He said, Not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers and the deed that I took them out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt with my covenant to break. Oh, thou was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Now, Oh, wonderful. Uh, that's for another day. Now, 33 says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put, watch this, a new covenant. He says, I will put my law in their inward parts. How huh, beautiful. He says, And write it in their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What is the law that He will put in our inward parts? What is it that He will write in our hearts that will cause us? To be his people and he will be our God. That's relationship. So the fact that he will put his law in our in his law in his, our inward part and in our heart is that, that fact brings us into a relationship with him, with God. Now 34 says, explains further. He says, and they shall teach no more. Every man is neighbor. And every man is brother, say, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest. So, the fact that the law is in our heart, his law is in our heart, will cause us to know him, to be in a relationship with him, and cause us to know him. Now, on predicated of words, he says, see the Lord, and for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. In other words, the reason why we will know him, the reason why we will be in a relationship with him is because he will forgive. That is, he will give us a spirit. He will give us a spirit. So Jeremiah says that, Jeremiah talks about the new covenant. You can read it in Hebrews chapter 8. Jeremiah talks about the new covenant. He says, and that new covenant is going to be done in our inward parts. This is the spirit. That is, this is by his spirit. So it is based on, so it is based on that, he says, that our sins and our iniquity, he will remember. The word he says he will remember, it means, is that he's saying that it will not come into consideration. That is, it will not be a factor because he has removed it. In your relationship with God, sin and iniquity is not in consideration. He has given you his spirit. This is the gospel. You have the spirit now and you have it forever. Therefore, sin and iniquity is not a factor anymore in your life. You are forgiven. Hallelujah. So the work of his spirit is that he cleanses us. So when we say the blood of Jesus is a shorthand, or when we say the blood of Jesus in the resurrection is a shorthand of saying the work of the spirit in man. Cleansing. 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 This is wonderful. So this is the new creation. This is forgiveness of sin. So when the Spirit comes into us, He cleanses us, He quickens us. 
It makes us brand new. It removes sin from us. This is a remission of sin. This is what forgiveness of sin means. The indwelling of the Spirit eternally. Which result to eternal forgiveness. This is the new creation. This is the new creation. We're going to look at what the blood of Jesus means later in this series. So because of this. So we have seen how much God loves us. We have seen what we have in his love. This now informs us of our relationship with others. How? What did we see in his love? We saw that he has forgiven us forever. He has separated sin from us. He has separated the consequences from us because we are forgiven forever. So this informs us of our relationship with others. A Christian should never Ever nurse resentment and bitterness. You see, let's, let, let me back up a bit. In our relationship with God, sin, He has removed it from us. Are you getting this now? He has removed it from us. In your relationship with others, people's wrongs, you should also remove, you should put it forward also. You should also be removed. A Christian should never say a statement like, I can't forgive him or I can't forgive her. It should not be. It should not be named among us. Why? Because when we put what God has done in Christ for us in our minds, when we stay abreast with what he did, that he forgave us eternally, he gave us his spirit, no matter what anybody does for us, our default responsibility is to let it go. Just as how we saw in the Old Covenant, in the time of Jubilee, on the period of Jubilee, they let the debt and obligation and others owed other people to be let go. They freed from them. That's how we saw it. And that's a shadow. It's a shadow. The reality of that conduct is walking in love or walking in the spirit. Remember, the spirit that you have received, the spirit that cleansed you. This is what we have received in the spirit. Our responsibility in Christ. Jesus is to walk in love, to forgive. To forgive one another. To allow the fault of other people. To let go of other people's fault. Just as how God has let go of sin in our lives. He has removed it from us eternally. Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us this. Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us this. So we see we are forgiven forever. We are saved forever. We are washed forever. We are cleansed forever. God did it for us in Christ eternally. In the same vein, we should do it for others. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul teaches it there. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see the syntax of what he uses here. The words he uses. Verse 32. He says, I read from 31, he says, and let all bitterness, wrath, 
anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, you know, it says, and be kind one to another. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scripture. He says, and be kind one to another. Tender hearted. The word tender hearted is compassion. Oh, glory to Jesus. He says, forgiving one another. How? 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 Look at the next statement. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath past forgiven you. So God has forgiven us. So forgiveness is not based. Listen to this now. Forgiveness is not based. God's forgiveness is not based by what we do. No. It's based on what he did for us. We did not do anything. Remember, in Titus chapter 3, it says it's not by the works of, our, of, of righteousness. It's not by what we did. Forgiveness of sin is not even based by confessing it. No, forgiveness of sin is based by we receiving his spirit. You must understand that it's not by what you do, it's by what he did. The new birth is not by what we do, it's by what he did. We received it. It's a gift. The spirit. This is important. This is important. So that is why he says that just as Christ forgave us, we should forgive other people. You must not wait for them to apologize. You must not wait for them to say they are sorry. You just forgive them. Because God did not wait for us to apologize. God did not wait for us to confess our sins. God did not wait for us to repent. No. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He forgave us. He offered forgiveness for, to us through His Spirit. And in believing, we receive His Spirit. This is eternal. And this is our conduct also. He says to be kind. The word kind is benevolence, gracious to another person. Why? Because God was kind to us. God was gracious to us. He gave us the nature of kindness. He forgave us eternally. He removed transgression from us. In the same vein, we remove the wrongs that people have done to us. Whether they know it or not, this is working in the newness of life. This is working in the spirit. In the period, in the state of this liberty that we have, in the state of this jubilee that we have, we have a responsibility to put forward just as how God put forward our forgiveness. To do it, to remove the errors, the fault of people. He says, do not allow bitterness and wrath. That's what he says. That's what he says. So the only thing a believer should owe another believer is love. Tender-hearted, be compassion. So statement like, I can never forgive, should not be mentioned in the mouth of the believer. Statement like, you know, some things we say to err is human, to forgive is divine. That is, is unscriptural and there's nothing as wrong as that. It's so wrong. To err is divine. No. Or to forgive, I mean, to forgive is the no, it shouldn't be mentioned with you. To forgive is the new creation. 
we forgive. Anger, resentment should not be named among us. Rather, we should be tender-hearted and compassion, just as how God was compassion to us. Compassion to us. So the reason why we are, we are kind and tender-hearted is because of what God has done. This is Christian living. This is Christian conduct. Malice and hate shouldn't be named. I will not talk to her. I will not talk to him. How can he talk to me like that? All those things should not be named. Because we have received the goodness of God. The goodness of God is in you, his spirit. So we walk in love. We walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5 says something like that. He says, be dear for followers of God. Verse 1, he says, as dear children, the word followers is imitators. Imitators. So we are dear children. He says, we should be imitators of God. Why? Because we are his children. How are we his children? We have received his DNA, his spirit. So when he says, he says, verse 2, and walk in love. The word walk in love is a synonym in Bible language to walk in the spirit. So observe that every of our responsibility is coming as a result of God's action towards us, his love. So within his love, again, we have forgiveness of sin by spirit and we also have the ability to do the same for others. That is Christianity. That is Christian living. Our choices, our preferences be, is now as God's choice, as how God chooses and how God, and how God prefers. How does God choose and how does God prefer? God chooses graciously. God chooses in love. So we are imitators. Imitators doesn't mean that we should be like it. We are already like it. That's why it says, as dear children. So he's saying that because we are his children, act like God. How, what does it mean to act like God? Walk in love. Forgive. Look at verse 2. He says, and walk in love as Christ had loved us. Did you see that? So the, Christ walked in love when he gave himself for us. When he forgave us eternally. That is why forgiveness is eternal. It's like saying, it's like when we say that forgiveness is not internal, it's like saying that Jesus Christ just forgave us for a little while and saying that uh, these other ones, you have to come and tell me that you are sorry before I will not put it forgive. No, it is eternal. It's an eternal work. When we hold no grudge to another person, when we see the overwhelming love of God, when it fills our heart day after day, when we meditate on it day after day, it is as Christ also had loved us and had given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling savor. So Christ walked in love when he offered himself as a sacrifice. We also we must walk in love by forgiving people, by being tender-hearted, by being compassionate, by being compassionate. You know, Holding no grudge against anybody. So our conduct also has to be sacrificial. Just like Jesus. 
Not because it is not because it is something that we have to struggle or try to produce on our own accord. No, but it is because of what He has worked in us, His Spirit. So we have a sacrificial nature. We have a sacrificial nature. Hallelujah. A sacrificial nature. First sacrificial nature. We have received his spirit, his goodness and righteousness. Hallelujah. So when dealing his love, brothers and sisters, is that we are eternally forgiven, is that we are saved forever, is that we are washed and cleansed forever, because we have his spirit. When we say that we are forgiven past, present, and future, it's just a, a, a lower way to say, that's just a lower way. What we are really saying is that we have received his spirit. He has forgiven us forever. He has removed our transgression from us. What have we found in his love? We have found eternal forgiveness. True, his eternal spirit in us. What else have we found? We have found our responsibility, an offshoot, a product of what we have received, walking in love. So I urge you, in this understanding that you've just received, tell yourself, know that you're washed. Know that there is no sin inside of you. Know that there is no condemnation inside of you. You are in a year or you are in a state of liberty, a state of freedom. Put it forward and free others also. When they wrong you, oh, don't worry, brother. Don't worry, sister, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, you, oh, no, 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 you're forgiven. Easily. Easily. No matter what the person does, no matter what the person has done. Because that's what God did for us too. Even us. I hope you're blessed. Thank you for listening. God bless you forever. I, I want you to meditate on this truth throughout this week. Because it's going to inform your Christian life. Think about God's love. And in your relationship with others. Amen.